In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'll continue with the hymn of the month. Praise the Lord, my soul, oh, praise Him. I will praise Him all my days. I will sing while I have been. I will sing to God my praise. Put no confidence in princes, mortal men who cannot save. All their plans will come to nothing when they perish in the grave. Oh, how blessed the man who trusts in Jacob's God to be his aid. Oh, how blessed the one whose hope upon the Lord is God is saved. He who made the earth and the heaven and the seas with all their store, he who keeps his word forever, he is faithful evermore. He will always render justice for the sake of those oppressed. He gives food to those who hunger, satisfies their emptiness. God releases all the prisoners to the blind the Lord gives sight. He lifts up those bowed in anguish and release them from their plight. How the Lord loves all the righteous, and the alien defends, helps the orphan and the widow, judgment on the wicked sends. God the Lord will reign forever, Zion's God forevermore. Reigns through every generation, Alleluia, praise the Lord. We'll continue with the catechism memory work, so... Uh, it's from the Table of Duties of Civil Government. So what does the Bible say about civil government? This is just one part of that. 
and we'll say the Bible memory work together. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Romans 13, 1-2. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, so a couple things for the hymn today. So we already talked a little bit about kind of what, what it is. It's a psalm. That we're singing, and when you put a psalm to a hymn tune like that, uh, like I said, it's a paraphrase, which means it's not going to be exact of what uh, – it's not a translation per se. Um, we're not translating from the Hebrew into hymn verse uh, because that would be a very, very difficult task to try and do a very, very – word-for-word translation that is going to rhyme in English, right? So this is what we call a paraphrase, which is one step over from a translation. Uh, Paraphrase is um, taking the – it's more thought-for-thought than word-for-word. Let's say that. And when you do that, you can be a little more flexible with your words and and make them rhyme, right? So uh, this is not a bad thing. In this context of we're going to try and make a really good hymn out of this psalm. And this is actually um, singing metered psalms is something that Lutherans have been doing for a long time. Guess what a mighty fortress is? It's a metered psalm. Anyone know what psalm it is? 46. Donna knows. Yeah. A mighty fortress is just a paraphrase of Psalm 46. So – These make for very, very, very good hymns. And if you look at the paraphrase, some paraphrases are closer to translations than others, if that makes sense. Some are – A Mighty Fortress is actually a very loose paraphrase of Psalm 46 in some ways. Um, But that's actually kind of Luther. When the Luther Bible that Luther translated um, from – he translated from the Greek into the German, one of the first times in history that – uh, the the Bible was really in the vernacular of the most common man at the time, although Koine Greek was common man Greek uh, when the Bible was originally written. Um, 
when he translated the Bible from Greek into German for the common man, his translation philosophy was not very much word for word. It was actually um, more – it wasn't a paraphrase, but it was more of a thought-for-thought thought translation. It was more like the NIV than the NASB for whatever that's worth. Um, that's kind of Luther's style. So uh, he, he wants to get the meaning of the text very clearly across to his people, which is good. Um, so anyway, I just pulled up the Bible here just so you could kind of see – um, how close the paraphrase is. Uh, and the first stanza of the hymn of the month, you can read along on your hymn sheet while I read the first four verses of Psalm 146 from the NIV. And uh, you can see how well they match up. So uh, this is what would be the first stanza in our hymn is verses one through four in the psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When the spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Very close. Really not bad. Almost a translation as much as a paraphrase. So um, I think this is great. And why do I think this is great? Because no matter – what's your favorite hymn? Someone give me their favorite hymn. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a great hymn. I love that hymn. But it's not the Bible. Right? It's not God's inspired word. When we sing psalms, we're singing God's inspired word. And to me, you can't really beat that. Right? I mean, I love certain hymns that are obviously not psalms. Um, one of my favorites is How Firm a Foundation. Right? Great hymn. Fantastic hymn. I'm going to sing it the rest of my life. But... Not the inspired word of God, <laughs> right? So uh, singing psalms is great for that reason, that you get to sing the word which gives life. Um, and if you're coming on Wednesday nights right now, that's uh, what we just started talking about Wednesday night is, is the Bible. So um, hopefully that kind of makes a connection for you. All right. On the catechism of civil government, uh, this is interesting because uh, we just talked – I just talked about this with the elders yesterday – in the large catechism on the fourth petition to the Lord's Prayer, which is give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In the small catechism, one of the things Luther lists there as what is daily bread is good government and peace. Good government and peace. And in the large catechism, when Luther explains what he means by that, um, he talks – you can ask Gary or Steve about this. He talks extensively about government, that daily bread, what we need for this body in this life, one of the main things that we need is to have good governing authorities. Because what do governing authorities do? What he talks about in the large catechism a lot is they make sure that we have peace and quietness. That, he makes, that they make sure that we, ha we don't live in a land of chaos. And I've said this once. I'll say it a hundred times. Christians cannot be anarchists. You can't have, a, you can't have Christians who believe in uh, rule of law by one's own self. And why is that? Because we know that people are inherently sinful. We know that they have original sin 
And if people are left to their own devices, if people don't have the gospel, um, then and they don't have the rule of law governing their life, if they don't have the punishment of wickedness to curb them from their sin, then what are people going to do? They're going to act wickedly. Right? They're going to murder and plunder and, and all sorts of things. And so uh, Luther knows this personally, right? Luther, um, whenever the Holy Roman Emperor puts out uh, a charge for his arrest at, because he's you know, deemed to be a heretic or whatever, uh, it is the elector of Saxony, his magistrate, who protects him and hides him in a castle. Right, so Luther understands this that if it weren't if it weren't for a good government on his behalf that was promoting justice for him, then he would have been uh, tried and put in jail, and the Reformation as we know it might not have happened the way it did. And so uh, the idea of governing authorities being for our good is very strong in in the Lutheran tradition, um, and obviously also in in the Bible, as Paul says here, and this is one of Luther's you know, main verses that he'll go to, is that there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That governing authorities are put here for our good. Now, Luther will also say if there is a bad governing authority, if there's a governing authority who's abusing his power, who's not promoting peace, who's not punishing wickedness, then we should pray for their downfall. We should pray for their defeat. He's He's got this great line in the large catechism where he's talking about praying for the government and he prays, you know, that they would promote peace, punish wickedness, give us peaceful and quiet lives and vanquish the Turk. <laughs> Classic Luther. Um, because there were oppressive people and, uh, and uh, they needed to um, be punished. Um, and there are bad governments, and he recognizes that. And so uh, – and th- this is something else in the large catechism. One final thing that I realized when we were reading that yesterday that was uh, really good was that he makes a point at the very end that says – he says something along the lines of uh, when you pray for their blessing, you're praying that God would bless them as he sees fit. And God will bless by – punishment or by suffering whenever it's necessary so if we pray um let's just say you really don't like the president right now i don't know what you all think maybe you maybe you love the president i don't know but let's just say you know you're putting the stickers on the gas uh things because you don't like the president you can still pray for his blessing because when you pray for that, you're putting it in God's hands, right? So when you pray, you know, for that that God would bless the president of the United States, um, you are praying that God would exact what is right for that person. That he would, if if that person needs to be humbled, if that person needs to be brought to justice, if that person needs support and comfort or peace, whatever whatever it may be. The blessing of God comes in many, many and various ways. Christians have always understood this, that blessing can come by suffering, right? And, and blessing can come through through the midst of hardship. Um, and sometimes 
A blessing for us is when we have the law preached to us and we realize we're wrong about something, right? So um, that I think that was great that you know we always pray that God would bless the government. That doesn't – we take the word bless in English and we think that means give them good stuff. That's not what the word bless means. The word bless means that God would give what is right. And what people need. All right. So um, that's several government. Um, I think there's like – I think we go through the first six verses of Romans 13. So I think we got two more weeks of that stuff. All right. In For Bible study today, we're taking a short break from Old Testament history, which is fine. We're still sticking to the Bible. So if you notice here, we got God's word. On stewardship. So the first thing is God's word. The first thing is God's word. The second thing is stewardship. Um, if you've been reading the announcements and whatnot, this uh, the two Sundays from now, uh, the last Sunday in September is Stewardship Sunday. We're doing that a little bit different than we've done before. Um, I don't. I know it's been done different even in the past uh, before I was here, but. Uh, we are bringing back pledge cards. So we didn't do pledge cards last year because uh, the first year I was here, we did them and three people turned them in. And I said, well, fooey with that. <laughs> I don't want to read three pledge cards. That's silly. Um, and I didn't even and, and I didn't even read them. And the reason um, we didn't we didn't read them is because we told people we, we weren't going to read them. They were for your own benefit. So you could think about what you wanted to pledge. And since we said, you know, it doesn't really matter, then, of course, everyone thought it doesn't really matter. And so no one turned them in, which is fine, which is all fine. Uh, this year, coming off of uh, – we're kind of ending our – I started preaching on stewardship on and off um, just here and there, doing a few things here and there, putting newsletter articles out uh, here and there in January – and so hopefully you've gained a lot of your biblical knowledge about stewardship since January. I don't know. I think people have because giving has been way up this year, which is good uh, because it needed to be because we were way behind last year. And uh, the way I got the model of the stewardship program, stewardship under the cross – of, that we've been doing over the last year that's coming to an end now this month is two years ago I went to the conference I go to every year in Wisconsin and I went to the head of LCMS stewardship's breakout session on how to run your own stewardship program without paying anyone which was good um, I don't know if you know this about churches but you can pay like an organization like LCEF, Lutheran Church Extension Fund or there's other uh, non-denominational ones out there that are very popular to come in and run a stewardship program for you and raise you a lot of money, but then you give them 10% at the end of whatever your increase in giving was. Well, I'm not going to do that because um, I'm frugal, and especially with the church's money. And... Uh, this guy basically told us the outline. His name's Keith Curtis, great pastor. Um, 
he told us the outline of basically what all those stewardship programs are and how to just put it together ourselves uh, without having to do some goofy sermon series and go off the lectionary and all this stuff. So uh, we've been doing that, and it's been very good, but the ending of that program is to do pledge cards. And you can say what you want about pledge cards. Um, They're obviously not biblically commanded by any means, but um, hopefully as we go through this Bible study, uh, you'll see the benefit of them, and uh, you'll see kind of uh, what we're talking about when we talk about stewardship. So the next two weeks, this week and next week, um, we're just going to go through this packet, and it's really just a list of Bible verses, a compendium of Bible verses, if you will, on the topic of stewardship organized in a certain way um, that I want to go through with you. But anyway, uh, if you don't have a pledge card, there are these yellow sheets. This is why I'm waving these around so everyone can see. Uh, we got pledge cards, and this year we are going to look at them. They do matter. We're going to help determine our budget for next year based on these pledge cards. Right? Uh, as part of the revitalization, um, you see every week in the bulletin and every month in the messenger that we have a we have three numbers. We have what we received in offerings. Then we have what our budgeted goal is, which all in all this year we've reached and even uh, at most times exceeded our budget, which is great. Uh, but then we have our goal, which is what would it cost for us to get off of district support? Um, and uh, that is a big goal of the congregation. And hopefully within the next two years, we can do that. One or two years, we can do that. And so this next year's budget is very important uh, to determine kind of where we are in that process. So um, I highly encourage you to fill out the pledge form um, for the church's benefit, but then also for your own benefit, um, because if you, you can go ahead and flip to the back of your packet there. Um, there's a very last bit there that says, is filling out a pledge card a requirement? Um, of course not. Um, so, and he says for two, for two reasons. Uh, one, for the church's benefit, like I said. And second, because it lifts up the word of God. While handling the card is not a requirement, uh, building your life on God's word is not optional. Okay, And so we're going to go through God's word, and I think you're going to see that what we're asking in a, in a pledge card is simply for you to consider your giving, your stewardship, which is a biblical, uh, I would say, really command. Um, whatever your giving is, not how much you give, but uh, giving in general is a biblical command. Um to consider that giving according to God's word is the duty of the Christian. And so the pledge form helps you do that. It, it just forces you to sit down. It's kind of like if uh, you're like, okay, I'm a Christian. I need to read my Bible. And instead of just saying that to yourself and then letting it go by the wayside, you set an alarm at the same time every day and have your Bible in a certain spot, and then you will actually do it, right? Well, this is the same thing for giving, is if you, feel, if you actually look at your finances, look at your budget, and then uh, consider your giving in a thoughtful way and write it down, you're a lot more likely to actually follow through with it, right? So 
Um, anyway, I put a stack of these right here. There's uh, more at either entrance, uh, so be sure to grab one if you if you haven't already. And there's a uh, on the front is the is the pledge card, and then um, on the back is a quick way to um, really ideally you should come to the Bible study first so you can hear all the scripture and then and then go through the, this five step process of uh, how to decide how much you want to get uh, on the back there. So and then the way we're going to turn these in is really simple. We're just going to put them in the offering basket on the 25th. Right. That way you don't have to find the right person or whatever. Just put it in the offering basket. And if you don't get it in, on, if you're not here on the 25th for whatever reason, we're going to accept them for like two more weeks after that through the middle of October. Um, I think that should still be plenty of time for us to do our budget. So, All right. Um, and when I say people, we're going to look at them, I mean I don't even think the whole leadership team will. I will. Um, Marsha will obviously see them as she um, – does the uh, recording of of who uh, the tax documents? That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and uh, you know, Karen will as she works on the budget and 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 so on and so forth. But um, we're not gonna. It's not gonna be highly publicized. It'll be a small group of people, just so everyone's aware that um, no one's gonna be. There's not going to be a bunch of people in the congregation gossiping about who gives, who's going to give what, right? That, so I should be clear about that. All right. Um, so that that kind of introduces us here. Uh, the I want to get back to this idea to start off with uh, up at the beginning of your packet there on the idea of basing this on scripture. Okay, so. This is a really important point, and if you don't take anything else home, take this home, that when we talk about stewardship, obviously I have to talk about the revitalization. Obviously I have to talk about you know, where we stand in accordance with our budget uh, financially, these kinds of things, um, but that can't be the basis of our giving. Our budget can't be the basis of our giving. The the budget should be on the basis of the giving, but trying to meet budget, whatever budget that may be, can't be the basis of our giving. What needs to be the basis of our giving? Scripture. Because scripture should be the basis of everything that we do in this life. Right? It is our rule and norm of faith and all of life. And so when we consider the topic of stewardship, like I said, budgets are going to come up, but we can't base our stewardship only on what is needful. We can't just say, well, someone else will give what is needed, or we can't just say, well, it's always worked out for us. We've always found a way to get through or we can't just say that um, on, on the contrary, instead of putting on someone else's plate, it's, not, it's also not right for someone to say, well, I know other people aren't going to give, so I'll just cover them. Now, if you want to be generous, that's fantastic. Um, be as generous as you can, but don't give just because you feel like 
If you don't, then the church is going to close its doors or whatever the case may be. We should give on the basis of what the scriptures say about giving. All right, so that's what we're going to go through. We're going to go through what the scriptures say. Does that all make sense? I think that's a really important point, and that also takes some of the emotion out of it, right? Um, If I said that, look, we're going to base our uh, stance on abortion based on scripture and not on what the world says, you'd all be like, yeah, right? That makes sense because God's word is sure. What the world says is different. So there there have been um, – we live in a time now with stewardship where the average giving across all Christian churches in the United States is about 2%. What we can tell of the LCMS, which is hard to track, is about, about 2.53%. So no, I guess we're doing better. Right. Um, During the Great Depression, the average giving across the United States in Christian churches was five percent. Wow. Right. Um, There have also been times in history where. um, And I've been told that this was here, I believe, at one point, I think, Steve, did you tell me this? Correct me if I'm wrong, that. At other times in history, everyone's giving stats have been published publicly, right? And that was very common. That was very common. And I would say that's probably not a good idea, right? It just gives a device for envy um, and gossip, But uh, so we probably should not do that. But the reason that was is not because people were giving too little, but probably because uh, – Giving became like a competition, and everyone was giving a lot, and that's also not good. We can't base these things on what the world says, right? Because the world changes. The world is, you know, the world used to think abortion was bad, then it didn't. Now, a lot of America thinks it's bad again, which is great, but we can't depend on that, right? We have to depend on what God's word says. All right, so. Um, that's a that's a super important point. So again, it ta- it kind of takes the emotion out of it too, because then it's not like I'm talking about some super sensitive thing that people get squirmy and don't want to talk about. Although I bet you our attendance will be lower on the 25th, but um, people there people just get scared of stewardship Sunday. I don't I don't know, uh, just a thing. But um, it's not an emotional thing for me. It's not it it doesn't need to be sensitive topic because it is um, a scriptural topic, right? It's just what scripture says. So it's the same way as if I told you uh, that, yeah, the Bible says stuff about gossiping. Um, Let's talk about what the Bible says about gossiping and then try not to gossip so much because it's not good, right? And so uh, it's not like a sensitive thing uh, for me to talk about. All right. So the first uh, question to ask yourself. I, I think this is good. So this is not my compendium, by the way. This is uh, from Heath Curtis. But um, I, I think it, it does a really good job of just going through the scriptures. How much does God love me? Someone want to read John 3.16 there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
Yeah, and you know the rest of the verse too, that whoever shall believe in him not perish but have eternal life, right? So uh, the fact that God loves us, the creator of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, and that he has loved us so much Excuse me. Loved us so much to give us his only son, to die for all our sins, to rise again to give us new life. This should define everything in our lives. Right? How can this not define everything in our lives? That we are saved. We are justified by grace. We have the love of God Almighty on our side. If he is for us, who can stand against us, right, says Paul? Um, God loves me more than I could ever know. And so I know what he says about stewardship. This goes back to his word, right? If he loves us this much, he's not going to lie to us. There can be no poison in the cup your physician sends you. That's from a hymn. I don't know which one. What he says about stewardship in his word is for my benefit. It's for my benefit, right? And again, so this doesn't have to be like some uh, – and, and it's been good for me to preach and talk about stewardship over the last year because it's made me more comfortable in talking about it. Um, it you know, it's – finances are obviously kind of a private thing in people's lives. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, as a pastor, I'm involved in people's private lives. <laughs> um, I find out all the, um, all the deep and uh, things that, that other people don't get to know. And that's, that's, that's fine. That's good. That's my job. Um, and I love to, to do it. I love to be that involved in people's lives and get to know them on that level. And uh, again, you don't have to tell me everything about your personal finances – um, but this doesn't have to be like a weird sensitive thing because we know that if the Bible talks about it, it's good, right? And um, we, we, need to, we need to talk about these things. All right, so um, if God loves me, we know that what he says is for our benefit. So then, uh, to whom does my money belong? So this is um, – I. In a sermon a while back, I talked about the first step and the second step of stewardship. Uh, the first step is recognizing who are who ev- who everything belongs to, uh, which is obviously going to be God. The second step is then stewarding accordingly uh, to that and actually making making decisions. Uh, so a couple Bible verses here showing that our money does indeed belong to God. And I should uh, <clears throat> I should pause here. I am talking specifically about money for this Bible study and leading up to the pledge cards. And I did not put on the pledge cards um, – and uh, by the way, Jeremiah Boyd is uh, the stewardship head right now, and I've been working with him. He's been in Orlando working during the summer, I've been working with him. Um, he's going to make an announcement this morning on this stuff, uh, on these things. So uh, just so you know, I'm not. This isn't like, uh, you know, pastor's dictatorship or whatever. Um, he, he's helping me with this stuff. 
But on the pledge forms, I did not – we decided not to put um, do you want to help mow the lawn? Do you want to help uh, make coffee in the mornings or whatever? One, because we already know who is doing all that stuff and who will potentially do all that stuff. And we regularly ask people to try and come in and help with those things and, and get people involved in that side of stewardship, the time side of stewardship, right? So you have uh, time, talents, and treasures, or the ta- time and talent side of stewardship. Um, and I prefer just to say instead of time, talents, and treasures, I prefer just to say whole life stewardship. The reason we're specifically talking about money is because I don't actually think most churches – um, ours included really struggle with the time and talents part so much. Um, most of the faithful members here are willing to give their time and talents, and everyone in this room I'm looking at gives their time and talents in different ways regularly to the church. Um, and I'm probably preaching to the choir when it comes to money too. I I did look at how much everyone gives back in January, and I have completely forgotten. So. If you're worried that I know how much you give, don't be because I don't know anymore. I looked once and then I forgot. Um, I really was just looking to see what the dispersion of giving was. Like do we have 20% giving 80% or do we have 50% giving 50% or do we have – What's the dis- does that make sense? Uh, what the dispersion of the giving is. So um, I looked that up and then, and then I – forgot everything but the reason we're talking about money is because that is historically where our congregation has struggled and that's also where i think the modern christian struggles the most in stewardship is uh in the the money aspect that said it is always important to keep in mind that stewardship is whole life money is just one aspect of what you steward you also steward your time you also steward your talents you steward everything that you have your belongings you steward you even steward your family um i i think that um god has given us family as a gift and we need to arrange our time and uh arrange our work and things uh to steward what our families are as a as a family unit together, right? So um, there's tons of things that we steward. We steward the church, right? Uh, we steward we steward all sorts of things. We steward at our jobs, um, taking care of what God has given us, right? We steward creation, right? Um, we we make decisions to, for the good of cre- God's creation. Uh, so we steward all sorts of things, but. Um, we steward our food, right? We, we, we determine what we're going to eat. We steward our bodies. That's a huge one. We determine uh, what we're going to put in our bodies, how we're going to exercise our bodies, all those st- types of things. Um, so stewardship is whole life. We're going to talk about money specifically as one aspect of that. But you can apply everything we say to all those other things too. All right. To whom does my money belong? Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord Almighty. Pretty straightforward. And some of these are kind of taken out of context, but not. I don't think in a bad way. right? Um, like we could go read the whole stories and everything, but the statements are remain true for, for us uh, as an application. And some of them are even more straightforward, like Psalm 24. Get to it in a second. Right. 
First uh, Chronicles 29:14, King David said to God, "But who am I, and who are my people, that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you have already given us." That's such a beautiful uh, statement there, and I, I think the context of that is when David is coming into Jerusalem. And establishing the the worship there. Yeah, so this is uh, at near King David near David's death when Solomon has determined to build the temple, and David is praying uh, for the temple that's going to be built. Um, and he and he says this. So um, great. Great verse there. Yeah. Then, then what's going to be used to build up the temple of the Lord, to build up Jerusalem? Um, he starts off with the premise that all this belongs to God anyway. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Pretty straightforward. Deuteronomy 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of that my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. All right, so that, that one's great uh, because this is Moses talking to the younger generation of Israel that has grown up wandering in the wilderness, their parents have passed away. Many of them have fallen away from the faith. And he's saying to them, don't fall away. You're about to cross into the promised land with Joshua. This is Moses' final sermon to his people. And he's saying, don't become prideful. Don't think that you're the one who is able to produce for yourself wealth. Don't think that you're the one who's doing that. When you get wealth, what you are doing is receiving God's gifts because he's the one who put in you the ability to have wealth, right? Um, And of course, we know that the Israelites forgot this message, to say the least. Um, That goes back to, you know, like our division of the kingdom stuff when the kingdom's divided and what do they do? They build a, another golden calf. Genius idea, really. All right. Um, what does Jesus say about our stewardship of God's gifts? All right. So Jesus is going to take uh, – Jesus oftentimes – you know what Jesus does when he teaches? He's preaching on the Old Testament. That's basically what he's doing most of the time. So uh, he's going to take the things from the Old Testament that we've kind of already talked about here, that, uh, that our money belongs to God. And uh, he's going to expand that in, the, in, terms, of the new, in the terms of the new covenant um, and give you some kind of interesting rhetorical arguments here. So uh, some of them I'll read Luke 16, just at the bottom of the first page there. Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little 
will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, so uh, this is from the end of the parable, or is it right before? I can't remember. Um, the parable of the shrewd manager, which we preached on a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, it's before vacation, so it's kind of a blur. Here. Yeah, it's uh, right after the parable of the shrewd manager. That's what I thought. Should have trusted myself. Um, it's right after the parable of the shrewd manager. And the shrewd manager is kind of a odd parable, right? In the sense that it seems like Jesus and the manager are commending a practice that does not seem very nice to us according to our standards today so the first thing i'd say about that is well we should not compare the bible standards to our standards today and shrewdness um is not a bad thing in the biblical view right so be wise as serpents innocent as doves um that we should find creative ways and be shrewd be thoughtful, be clever in managing our money wisely. Uh, this also goes along with the parable of the talents. I don't think he – maybe he has that one in here. I don't know. Um, anyway, the parable of the talents, which is the parable where the manager gives three people three different amounts of money to manage while he's away. When he gives one talent, when he gives – is it – one, five, and ten? Is that right? When he gets five talents, when he gets... Or is that what happens when he comes back? It, it, yeah, one, three, and five, and then he comes back, and it's like something like one, five, and ten or something. Yeah, um, getting all the numbers mixed up. So anyway, he gives uh, one, one steward, one talent, one steward, three talents, one steward, five talents, and he comes back, and... Then the person who only got one buried it in the ground and did not do anything to invest it. The person who got three invested it and got a little bit back. The person who got five invested it got double back and uh, did uh, very well. And God in, and then it, the one who invested it the most is commended. The one who did not invest it is um, chastised by the manager for not being wise with the money, right? So all of that said is that we are called to be, as Jesus says here, honest with our money. We're also called to have to steward it, right? So I said earlier we got two, two steps in stewardship. One, recognizing who the manager is, right? That, that we're not the manager. God's the manager. It all belongs to God. We're just stewards. That means we're tasked to take care of things. Um, for our manager and then second is actually making decisions with those things on the basis of 
of that fir- of that first thing. So we're called to be honest with it, um, and then to actually make decisions and do things with it. We're called to actually steward, right? And this argument that Jesus puts, puts forth, if you have not been trustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? The choir is leaving us. Uh, the choir can practice right in the sanctuary if they want. Okay, good. Perfect. Um, and then no servant can serve two masters. This is an interesting thing because what what he's saying is that uh, it's easier to handle money than it is to handle the things of God, right? So uh, what's, a, what's a gift that you have from God that's a spiritual gift? Let's just say broadly his grace, right? God gives us grace. He has favor towards us. He has mercy towards us. He has forgiveness towards us. Well, it's actually easier to make decisions and properly handle money than it is uh, to properly receive and handle his mercy and grace, right? Um, That we would be repentant uh, of our sins and that we would uh, receive with joy and thanksgiving what he gives us, right? Uh, that we would properly hand, receive those things and handle them in that way. That's actually a more difficult task than simply stewarding your money. Um, and so we should uh, use the little things like money as practice for our discipline of receiving even better and greater things. Right, um, and and which is and then he this is kind of the argument of the the greater is that you can't serve both God and money, right? So a lot of people turn money into a god. Money is just a tool, right? Money is not bad. Abraham was really rich. Money is never bad, um, in the sense of it being like inherently a evil thing. Uh, the Bible never teaches that. Money is simply a technology. It's a tool um, to be used. And what we're called to do is use it properly. A lot of people turn money into mammon. Now, mammon is the name of a god, right? Mammon is idolizing the money, right? And that mammon can happen – turning money into mammon can happen if you have a lot or if you have a little, right? It can happen if you're rich and you want more and more and more, like the the – Unwise, um, the what's it called manager? Unwise manager, the one who builds more and more storehouses to store all his grain, and then Jesus comes uh, at the end and says, "This very night your life will be required of you." Um, or it can happen to the poor, and I think oftentimes it's actually more the poor that that idolize money in a sense because they're constantly worried about. Right, constantly worried about not having enough money, um, and so the idolatry of money can happen one way or the other. All right, um, we'll just—it's uh, ten one, so we'll just—well, uh, let's finish up this very last part about what Jesus says, and then we'll, we can pick up at a stopping point there. Um, Matthew six, Jesus said, "Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy." And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust 
Do not destroy more thieves. Do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So that that one's pretty straightforward, I think. Um, this is what I always tell people. I've been at a couple of deathbeds, probably four or five deathbeds. And guess what no one ever talks about? Money. <laughs> no one ever asks for their W-2 on their deathbed. <laughs> they want their family there. They want their pastor there. They want to say the Lord's Prayer. And they want to know where they're going when they die. Um, and they want to know that their family is going to be taken care of. Right? And that has nothing to do with money. You cannot take this world with you when you die. You cannot pull a U-Haul behind the hearse. It is that simple. And so, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. And that, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, stewardship, especially money stewardship in the church, should not be that big of a deal or that big of a topic. Why? Because it doesn't really matter that much. Right? It, it In a sense, it, it matters. Like, it matters that we can pay the bills. It matters that the pastor gets paid, right? But... Um, like what we need is simply that we just need to use the tool for what it's needful for and then the rest doesn't really matter right the rest really doesn't matter so um we'll leave on that note oh one one other thing i was going to say about that is i recently found out that there are a lot of studies i haven't like looked them up but um there are a number of studies that have shown that once people can put food on the table as long as the bills are paid, you know, they're not in massive debt or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're like lower class, middle class, upper class, a gazillionaire. Happiness does not increase after you can pay the bills. Money does not affect life happiness as long as the bills are paid. That's something to think about um, that – like really people don't worry about money after they can you know use it for what it's meant for so that's that's kind of interesting all right we'll we'll end on that note um and uh close in a word of prayer anyone have any final questions or thoughts though before we do that all right dear Heavenly father we thank you for every good gift which you send from above from your fatherly hand and we pray that you would help us to steward those gifts according only to your word, which is our rule and norm for all of faith and all of life. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.